Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Dapper Ties. Um, they have a wide variety of ties, different styles, different fabrics. Go to wearedapperties.com. Check out everything they have to offer. And if you decide you want to purchase something, put in offer code TRUTH and you'll receive free shipping in the continental United States. We are and we thank them for their sponsorship. On this episode, I spoke to Todd Hunter. Todd is the artistic director of the Players Ring in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and he is a director. His The latest show that he's doing is The Graduate at the Players Ring, which opens on April 4th, and it runs through April 20th. Um, I went over to his house and we sat down in their their game room uh and uh you know chatted about mostly films actually todd and i are both pretty passionate about movies and we spent a lot of time about that and then kind of segued into talking about doing theater um but it was great to sit and talk to todd and spend some time with him so enjoy this conversation with uh, todd hunter figures in in the back there i have the um which one? I, i've got the uh mr pink and then i've got the mr orange yeah one of the things that i i thought was interesting i actually talked about it on this podcast with someone else before is the the mr pink one i don't know if you remember this but on the package it said at the request of the actor this this figure does not include a gun which oh, I didn't. It's one of the things that, like, I'm like, if I ever get the chance to talk to Steve Buscemi, rather than ask him about any of the movies, be like, you know, what what was the what was the impetus of that? Because obviously his character has a gun in that, and he's been in at least a few other movies where he, you know, wields a firearm. So I wonder, sure. you know, I wonder, you know, the character. I know the actor. I mean, I know the. I remember the. Um... I don't know if I have all the all the stuff now, but I remember it came with the suitcase. Yep. It came with the the, the diamonds. Yeah. Um, you know, he might have just been like. There's one thing when you're portraying a character on screen that's me- intended for adult audiences, and obviously right. these these toys are not intended for like kids. Right. But let's face it, they're going to play with them. You know what I mean? I have. I mean, I also had a Rambo. There's a Rambo action figure around yeah. here somewhere too. There's a Commando. You know, I they're around here somewhere, yeah. but. Um, you know, these are rated, you know, uh, toys. The kids do play with them. Right. And, you know, and I, I definitely played with a lot of uh, uh, action figures with guns growing up. George Lucas famously said when they were releasing the toys in 1977 for Star Wars, originally Kenner wasn't going to have any guns included because it was right. the late 70s and they were kind of getting away from that. And George Lucas uh, famously said, yeah, well, what about the guns? And they were like... Well, we're, we're, we we can't, we can't do that. And he goes, yeah, but what about the guns? So <laughs> right. Solo got a gun, and all, sure. you know, and and then of course the rest is history. You and I grew up in the eighties, and you know, and 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 it, it was an in, it's an interesting time, I think, for uh, Gen X particularly to yeah. huge segue, I guess, but be in the middle of the you know the um, gun control issue right now, and to and to see how it's grown since we've been children into adulthood, yeah. 
Um, and especially tail end Gen Xers like you and I, you know, I mean, either Gen X started, I think, in like late 60s, I, I think, think that's so. where 68. I, I think it's like 68 to what, uh, 78, now? maybe 78, 78 nine. So we're, we're closer to millennials in right. that way, but we're also in a very weird place where we can remember a time when, pe- when, you know, the idea of playing guns in your neighborhood wasn't a big deal, you right. know? Um, and I'm not even saying even now with like super soakers and that kind of stuff, but I mean, we had like guns that looked real and nobody thought anything right. about it. Um, and it's, in, I think we have a very uh, unique perspective of the way the world had been because the world's changed a lot in our lifetime. For sure. Yeah. A ton. Um, and I think we have a very interesting perspective where we remember those times when we um, had fac- home fax machines or if yeah. you had a home computer, it was one of those, you know, uh, amber screens and all that kind of yeah. stuff. The first Macs and all that kind of stuff. So remember a time when you had no technology and no, you know, uh, situations where there was a danger of playing guns. And now we also have that retrospective too of, was that the best idea too? You know, so we're in this very much like, I think our generation is in this very like take it or leave it sort of, you know, if if Facebook shut down, I think we'd be just fine. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Well, it's funny. Like I think about, um, the transformers, toys the uh the first wave megatron was a walter p like realistic looking i had it it's so much so that you cannot travel with it oh my god Um, i was one of my favorite guns yeah 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 but but that was the fun thing as a kid was if you left it in the gun mode you could play guns in the backyard and have the most realistic looking gun of all the kids in your neighborhood. Yeah. That yeah. thing was nuts. It was silver plated yeah. and it was, had yeah. weight to it. And it had and like a shoulder stock and a, and a silencer and a scope too. Crazy yeah. now. Yeah. Crazy and now to think about need, that. Like, I mean, I, I don't even remember cause it's been at least a decade since I saw Michael Bay's first Transformers monstrosity. And cause I don't th- cause I know Megatron doesn't turn into a gun. Like they changed it completely. Yeah. It. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird thing. I mean, I think part of it's just because, like, you know, in, in my forties now, um, I get you know introspective, and I I have looked in the last like couple of years about how much the world has changed in mm. our lifetime. Like, you know, I I think about the fact that we're the last generation who's gonna remember a time before social media oh yeah you know, you know before it was a, a thing you know we were the last generation who who got our music primarily through a physical format yeah you know we, the old taping you know pause yeah keep recording yeah yeah uh i mean you know i i know this is near and dear to both of our hearts but we're like the last generation who still likes going to the movies i yeah. mean there's a lot i mean there's a lot of our generation who doesn't who loves that you can you know, download it or, you know, whatever, have it in a little two inch by four inch screen in your pocket at all times. But, you know, not, and not to say that those are bad, but it's, you know, it's different. It's kind of like, like off of that, I, I've been collecting, you know, I've been collecting movies since I was like in junior high. Yeah. I used to go to the paperback booksmith at the Newington Mall and they had like the VHS, you know, sell-through. They used to call them sell-throughs because when VHS first came out on the market that, you know, there were only the rental stores could get them and they would be from like $90 to $125 a pop, which is insane um, to think of now. But yeah, like, they're literally like 25 cents at any 
thrift store now. At best, yeah. you know, and and I and my first VHS Star Wars, which I still have, was was the very first VHS I ever bought. And you take it out now; it's in my office. You take it out, you could like fucking like kill something. I'm sorry, can yeah. I do that? <laughs> you could like oh, you, you can say okay, cool. You could like I mean, it's so heavy. You could like fucking like kill somebody with it. Yeah. But I mean, now and then, of course, they got very like cheap plastic and all that kind of stuff. But that's it, it's a big thing with our generation now. I look at like back then movies were so expensive mm-hmm. and so hard to get like laser discs, a simple film would cost you like $40 yeah. for was, something you had to flip. Yeah. That was you something know? that had no bonus features. Nothing. Maybe exactly. the trailer at the end, if there was room at the end. Yeah. And it was like, Ooh, cool. Something extra. So I, it's funny. I go on social media now and, and the, and the complaining about how things are not even more readily available or I don't like this or I don't like that. And it's kind of the same thing with, uh, with the star Wars movies and the Marvel movies and the DC movies. I'm kind of sitting there and I'm like, I honestly remember a time maybe 30, what 30 years ago where we were excited to have Batman by Tim Burton, Mm -hmm. one movie Mm -hmm. in the theaters for us comic book geeks. You know, we were excited to have, uh, a Superman movie, or even even when the prequels came out, it's like okay, I, this is kind of a crappy movie, but I'm going to go see it anyway because it's the only Star Wars I got. Right. Um, and the same with buying movies too. And music, it was more like you had to save up, you had to go to the store, you had to get the album, you had to you sat with the album for a long time, or sat with the movie for a long time. And now, what I love about now is that everything is so much. In more inexpensive and there is so much more product and and for the most part it's a the quality is much better sure you know so when i see all the knitting you know arguing online about oh you know i'm segueing like crazy but like all the controversy over last jedi or oh uh, solo is gonna suck and i'm like sitting here going you know how much I, if, when i was 13 years old or you know 12 whatever if there was a Han Solo movie coming out, do you have any idea how excited I would be? Well, I was just, I mean, just putting it into that perspective. I'm like, if you had told me when I was 12 years old that when I was in my 40s, there would be two different Star Wars movies in six months' time for yeah. me to complain about how mediocre they might be. I wouldn't have. Be- do you know what I mean? Like, and like, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually no. Rogue One was great. You yeah. know, I, I'm. I'm a little astonished by, and I guess I shouldn't be, I guess that's the generational thing, but I get a little astonished by how much people nitpick this shit. I mean, like, like, yeah, are the DC movies, or the DC universe, do they have problems, and are they that great? No, but they're good enough. Right. You know, like, I can sit down and watch Batman versus Superman and just phase out and be cool, be like, cool, Batman and Superman are actually fighting on screen. Right. Well, that's the thing that, like, because... I kind of feel like with nitpicking everything that's here and now, people have put everything, particularly from the 80s and 90s, on such a pedestal. Because I ask people all the time, I'm like, when's the last time you watched Tim Burton's Batman? Sure. I'm like, it's not a great movie. It never was. Yeah. It was It was an advertisement for toys. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, but where there's, there's a huge amount of nostalgia for it because, like you were saying, it was it was – it was the first comic book movie really for us. Cause I mean, you and I were really too young when Superman first came out. I mean, I, I through home video, I got to see it and it was exciting, but like Batman, like I remember it coming out that whole summer, like 
So Batman and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade yep. came out in the same summer. Yeah, it's insane to think about now. Yeah. Um, what? Ghostbusters too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> summer of 89, man. Because I had the uh, Bobby Brown cassette yep. single for Out on Our Own. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was such a great song. It, it is was, a great song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's no uh, you know, Ghostbusters theme song. That's but, true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I would say that the DC, and, and, and I am by no means a fan of the new DC movies, but the they're just problems. as good as Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, you know, I remember for a while that people were like, oh, I hate this whole, like, everything's so dark and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that's a that's a that's that's an aesthetic and it's a taste choice. But, you know, looking back, everything was always so peppy. Does sure. it really matter if for a while we have some dark stuff? I mean, there was a whole phase. I had this conversation with Brendan Connell at one point. Um, and he still wants to come over and like sit down and watch the director's cut of Batman versus Superman with me. Cause I swear I told him, I'm like, it, there's no comparison between it and the director's cut. It's still a flawed movie and there's still problems, but it's much more enjoyable. Well, I didn't see it in the theater. And so the director's cut was my first experience. And for the first hour and 40 minutes, I was like, I don't know what people are talking about. This movie's great. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. I see right. It. Yeah. Yeah. You see where it starts to excuse me, fall apart. And I still haven't seen justice league yet though. I want to, um, it's. I know it's problematic. Yeah, it's. I'd say it's about on. No, I'd say it's worse than Batman versus Superman. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, you got two different directors and on it's, it. Yeah, it's it's about as bad as uh, Suicide Squad too. Okay, so. that makes sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I just I, I you know we we look at that and it's like even when you've got flawed pieces based on your nostalgia, it's just cool that. The, you know, the movies are filled with this right now. And I, and you know, it comes also back to the argument that it's like, well, real movies aren't getting made. And it's like, yes, they are like, mm-hmm. you know, they may not be in the movie theaters. You may have to watch Martin Scorsese's next film with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and all that mm-hmm. on Netflix. But is that so wrong at this right. point? We're binging, you know, big little lies. We're binging TV shows for a week. We're binging TV shows in a day. What does it matter to not go to the movie theaters to go see uh, a Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese film when you can just immediately, you can wake up the next day, you've got the day off. I think it's great. Click on it, sit, watch it, have your cup of coffee, pause where necessary, and really take it in. Yeah. I don't, you know, this whole thing with how Khan um, wouldn't allow any of the Netflix movies to be shown in competition, and then Netflix was like, well, I'm going to take all my toys and go home. Both of them are wrong. Right. Both of them, you know, it's not about, you know, most of the movies I watched um, that are classics now I saw on DVD, VHS, et cetera, et cetera. And I think people get too caught up in, well, it's only, it's only a real movie experience if you go see it. Right. It's not true. You know, it's a real movie experience when you experience it, wherever you experience it. You know, I, I've, I only saw one Kubrick film in the theaters. And, and I'm, I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Yeah. You know, is it because I couldn't see 2001 because I wasn't alive mm-hmm. in the theaters or because I don't really have an interest in driving and I'm nothing against people who do, but I don't really have an interest in driving an hour to Boston to go see it in a major screen when I can just pop it in right. on my 50 inch television and enjoy it at home. I like that you qualified that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it, but it's true. I have nothing against it, but that's the thing. It's like, whereas I don't have anything against driving out of your way to go do that at the same time, why have anything against somebody who is just as learned, but doesn't feel like making that trip sure. constantly. You know, I, I, you know, it's, it's, 
you enjoy you enjoy the film. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's on your it's not my ideal to watch it on a phone, but if someone's going to watch Seven Samurai on a phone versus never, right? Why not? Right. And and the flip side of that is if you can only enjoy something on a big screen, then it's not a very good movie. Because you should be able to watch it on, you know, a seventh generation VHS dub and it still have an impact on you as, a, you know, a pristine, amazing Absolutely. new remastered transfer, you know. Yeah. Uh, Some of my best memories were, were shitty VHS copies where you had to adjust the tracking, you know, yeah. and then and it's just, it's what it does, I think, for you, you know, and so I think it's. Long, longer story, even longer. I actually do enjoy all of the options now. Sure. I only get frustrated when people are like, "No, you have this option is going to die out." Like, I mean, how much are we hearing about the death of physical media for the past twenty years? Right. I'm like, it's still around. And, it's not going anywhere. And, yeah. <laughs> Cassettes are coming back now. Like, I know today's record store. This is the first time in like five years that I didn't actually go to a record store. Really? That, yeah, that was today. I mean, part of it was just money-wise, just, yeah. I, you know, since I, you know, I'm working part-time and being a full-time artist, which means I chose to be broke. Uh-huh. Um, Tell me but about I, it. But I look through the list and I'm like, there's nothing on here that really excites me. The, the Literally, the only thing that I looked through and I was like, there's one thing that I, in my mind, like, quote-unquote, had to have. And I'm like... I don't even know if they're going to have it at Bull Moose and I'm not getting up at, you know, four in the morning to get in line to wait. So like I'm, I'll, when I leave here, I might pop down sure. there and if they've got it, cause it's a Patton Oswald, uh, his Netflix special, they put it out on vinyl. Mm. Um, but it's one of those things that like, if they don't have it, I'll be fine. Well, that was like, that was like when the true romance full Hans Zimmer score came out exclusively on vinyl. We had like the limited edition and I had it on my list and, um, but I realized I didn't have the money for it. And I was just like, you know what, if I ever get it eventually great, but I also think that's part of potentially getting older, you know, both you and I are actually putting a lot of our efforts into our art now. Um, All my movies and our movies are in the office because I consider them work. Mm-hmm. I know, I know people look at my collection and are probably just like, Jesus Christ, that's a, you know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of waste of time, but the vast majority of my films, um, I would say all of them because I've even incorporated like silly stuff from Tom Hanks, eighties comedies into my work or right. John Ritter from three's company, you know, everything funnels through my work. And so it seemed to make sense that all those discs would be in the office because it's like, Oh, let me refer to this film. And, um, and even Tomer has started going through, you know, the older criterions and everything and starting to get a pile together and and all that. But I think for people like you and I, who have collected for so long, you and I, you know, you and I have a lot more in common than we don't. Right. But I think now with your art that you're fully focused on it. And of course I'm, very fully focused on my art, it's, it becomes less of a, I have to have that, mm-hmm. you know, it's more like, Oh, I'll get it eventually. Right. You know, but it used to be a time where we, if we weren't working on our art so much, it's like you, 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 you put all of that artistic itch into other people's works. Sure. Right. Acquiring, yeah. Rather than creating. Yeah. And, and I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I've, I've gotten um, a laundry list of directors and, screenwriters and and playwrights and actors and moments and everything in my head 
which just come out at weird moments on on stage, and but they work. Right. And so I am able to look at that entire history of collecting and be like, it actually was worth something for my work. Sure. Instead of just like a pile of shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, it's funny because now, like. Like I, I did a, I did a painting of Darth Vader mm-hmm. the other day, a watercolor, and I mean I've done probably twenty Darth Vader paintings in the last seven years, but it was one that I actually used an action figure and took a reference photo for lighting, and then did it from that, and I was like, because I used to kind of con myself, and I'm like, oh, well these these toys that I'm collecting are, I'm using them, but it was basically like an excuse because I just wanted to collect them. And now it's actually turned into a thing that I do use sometimes, but I'm just like, so it actually has kind of weaseled its way (laughs) or it's been there the whole time. And I've just been more aware of how it actually probably my opinion is that it's probably closer to that because this, there's this phenomenon that happens. I think when you start hitting your forties, how old are you? 42. Two, so you know. Yeah. Um, that all of your weird shit that you kind of do, that seems like kind of almost immature. It's like, can you grow up? By the time you hit your 40s, either you recognize that it is stupid and you need to move on, mm-hmm. or you realize, like you just said, oh, I have actually been using all of this. Right. And and you actually are are taken more seriously about it just by the sheer fact that you've been around for like 42 years on this planet right. that people are like, Oh really? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, five years ago, no, no one would be like, Oh my God, he's buying another movie. And now they're like, Oh no, he work- He uses those scenes in his movie. Right. It's, like, it's, like, right. it's like, nothing's really changed. It's just, I'm older. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and that was the thing is also getting older, giving less of a shit about oh what God, other yeah. people think about me. Cause it's like, I mean, I have plenty of friends who do stuff that they're passionate about that doesn't personally interest me, but I don't, I'm not like, oh, well, that's stupid. He does. I'm like, yeah, that's his thing. That's her thing, you Mm -hmm. know, but there's also stuff that artistic friends of mine are into that because they're into it, it has exposed me to something else. And I'm just like, oh, I wouldn't have even considered this as you know, some sort of inspiration, but then I kind of, what's an example for Um, you? Well, here's, this is an example and this is not the perfect one, but this is the one that popped in my mind first was um, the, well, the Rolling Stones. And it's, that seems like, you know, one of the most obvious things in the world. And I was always aware of the stones, but I just didn't get it. And I went on a long road trip with a friend of mine who was obsessed with the stones and, she broke it down uh, as far as like what, you know, there was probably like seven different tracks that she's like, well, this one, you know, it affects me because of X, Y, and Z. And they were working on this when they did this album and they were going through this and, you know, the whole history behind Exile on Main Street. And it kind of gave me an in. Context. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, another one, uh, a friend of mine, I mean, a relatively new friend, and he's a He's younger, he's in his 20s, but this guy Nick that I know is a coffee connoisseur. And it's one of those things that even if you had told me like five years ago, you'd be talking to someone who, you know, rates the different like, you know, roasting processes and whatnot. I, you know, be like, really? That's, you know, that's one step away from wine tasting. Yeah. Um, but I mean, wine's another one. My, you know, my ex-girlfriend who I moved to Arizona with, um, 
you know, we're still friends and she works at a vineyard, you know, she's in viticulture. Like she is going to school for that. Like just her genuine passion about it, you know, not just drinking wine, which is how she got into it, um, has sort of taken some of the, the pretension mm. behind it out of the perspective for me. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, it's not necessarily something that I'm passionate about, but I can see where someone, someone else really kind of gets a charge, you know, mm. and, and really, you know, is kind of inspired by this whole thing. So it's, and you bring up a good point too, with both with talking about the stones, coffee and wine, all three of those within context, they are art forms mm -hmm. making uh, the perfect cup of coffee. It's an art form. Cooking is art. Mm -hmm. Like cooking to me, that, that's my opinion. Cooking is art. Uh, coffee, uh, d the different way, because well, wine is actually is actually a living thing. It 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 ferments over time. It ages and everything. And those that are into wine, I I'm not. I mean, I've actually started drinking red wine to Jasmine's absolute glee. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually started drinking it quite regularly. Um, feels good. Feels good in the heart. Um, Your but wife, I, Jasmine Hunter, Jasmine photographer, Hunter, photographer. Well, um, yeah, photographer for me. She's she's. She's uh, she's gone off of photography a little bit to focus on encaustic art mm -hmm. and other arts, but lucky enough, she's still doing my publicity because right. not so much she's married to me, but because I actually let her do what she wants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually use her skills instead of just saying stand there and snap. Yeah. Um, but uh, she she she's very happy that I got into uh, I'm drinking wine more often, and I'm. It's funny, and I think this comes back again to our generation, and as we're getting older, <clears throat> we rec you can recognize that there's. There's art in everything, mm -hmm. at one level or another. There's art, you know. If you're if you're like, I don't get why, you know, you're so into. I mean, <laughs> here's a real pulling out of my ass, but um, I don't understand why you're so into Fifty Shades, you know. And it's like to them, it 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 means something. You sure. know what I mean? Um, you went to go see the Fifty Shades movie. I've seen like a, a few scenes from the yeah. first one, but that was about it. But you know, it, it it's a particular. It is a particular art form. It is a. Um, it opened up sadomasochism to here's a real segue that opened up sadomasochism to uh the the general public it didn't get everything right certainly that's for sure in fact they got some very wrong but it became a conversation and it took what could have been just kind of a a film you wouldn't necessarily take like seriously i, I hesitate to use strong words for that film like sleazy or pornographic or anything like that because it is a legitimate human need and interest. Sure. And once you start using negative words on that, you're basically saying, okay, all of these women and men who love these series of books, who love these films, who have taken something from it, you're negating their experience. Sure. And that's why I also don't make fun of football or anything like that. And I am genuinely like, Hey, go sports. You know, like I don't get it, but this is something that you are pulling something out of. And it's, and it means something to you. Yeah. Um, but I think with with uh, certain pieces of art that you don't get, I think it's I think it's good to kind of look at it and go, well, what what is it doing for people? What is what are they taking from it? Are they taking anything negative out of this? Um, and even if they were, why? You know what I mean? And mm. I think by kind of looking at stuff that way, and I've said before, I've, I'm very vocal about it um in terms of of my work at the players ring a lot of theater i just 
don't like. Right. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is overwrought. I think a lot of it is overdone. I think a lot of it is overrated. Um, but with that perspective, that's why I step back out of choosing shows mm-hmm. and allow it through the committee process and just kind of guide it through the numbers and help form the season with the board. Because I recognize that even if who's afraid of Virginia Wolf is not my cup of tea, or I think it's overdone, there is still so much value in it being done. And sure. if this is what the theater community and by extension, potentially audiences want to see. I, through the subjective objective process, I want to make sure that they're being given the opportunity to experience it, even if I don't particularly care sure, about it. Sure. And that, I think being in the position I've been in for so long has kind of changed my brain about how to take on things that I don't necessarily like mm-hmm. because it is valuable to somebody and it is valuable to their being human, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and you just start seeing it everywhere. It's like, yeah, well, I may not like that, but it's not hurting anyone. So right. fuck it. <laughs> I try to wait. So I do my film review podcast and I try and when it's obvious to me, like if there's a movie I don't like, but clearly it wasn't meant like it's not marketed towards me. No. I'll, I'll say, here's my take on this. But I fully recognize this movie was not made for me. There is an audience that would like this. This was my perception of it. But, you know, I was like, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Because, I mean, um, my buddy Bob, uh, who I'm going to, I'm, we're, we're going to go see Super Troopers 2 nice. this afternoon uh, for the film podcast. But uh, he and I and you and I have a similar taste in particularly in like darker films. Mm -hmm. So I've seen several films in the last few years that I'm like, I like this, but I could basically recommend it to Todd and Bob. And that's about (laughs) it. I mean, was that the dude that responded when you and I went to go see, um, uh, neon demon that morning? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) That little conversation. And it's funny because so Bob, um, people who know me, but don't know me that well, know I have brothers like, when we've been out together, people are like, oh, is this your brother? Like, we're not related at all, but we look very similar. Sure. So, um, but yeah, like I just saw uh, You Were Never Really There. Uh, or never, it's Joaquin Phoenix's new film. Oh, yeah. uh, it's uh And I can't think of the, the director's name, but she, her last film was We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, Jesus. That was yeah. a rough movie. This <laughs> is, is this? more intense than that. Like What? Was, well, because I told... Because, you know, Bob asked me, he's like, what'd you think? And I was just like, first of all, I thought it was great. Uh-huh. Um, it it absolutely... Like, I was looking forward to it, and it didn't, uh, you know, didn't disappoint. I said, it's one of the darkest, most brutal films I've ever wow. seen. Um, it, part of it is that I mean, it's a violent film, but hardly any of the violence is actually shown. The aftermath is shown, which is like 10 times more intense. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a couple things where bodies have been mutilated and like the way that they did it is, I mean, it's graphic, but it's also like the makeup is spot on wow. so much that you're like, Jesus. But also, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix's performance, I mean, he's, pretty much excellent in everything he's in. And some stuff is just like blows you away, but this is like a fully committed performance. He's untouchable. I, 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 your description, of course, your description of this movie now makes me want to see it like immediately because I was a big fan of, um, we need to talk about Kevin, but also I couldn't even, 
own that movie. For some reason, I just couldn't own it. I was like, it's so... Like, I have plenty of films that are disturbing. I own an unrated copy of Serbian film, for Christ's sakes, Mm -hmm. you know, which I've watched, like, twice with, and one of them was with uh, my friends, it was with Tobin and Brendan, mainly just to laugh through the whole thing because I couldn't take it. But there's certain movies that even if you're not seeing really graphic, horrifying shit, um, the fundamental core of it is just so unsettling that you don't feel, I don't feel a need to return to it. And that was like, we need to talk about Kevin. I, I, I thought it was so effective Yeah. Um, that I just, it was such an unsettling journey yeah. um, that I, w- I was good. Yeah. You know, so I'll be interested to see this one because I have a lot of respect for that movie. I love, I love the fact that <clears throat> Ezra Miller was able to play the, you know, the titular character in that, which is such a dark, I mean, First time I ever saw him. Yeah, that was the first time I had ever seen it. And then he he plays the Flash in Justice League, and he's he's the best part of Justice League. That doesn't surprise um, me. He was also in um, um, uh, the the adaptation with uh, the Watson. Perks of being a wallflower. Perks of being a wallflower, and he was yeah. wonderful in that too. It was that was one of the things because I hadn't read that book, um, and a friend of mine, uh, actually, I think we were dating at the time, but um, was like, "Oh, it's great," you know, and read it and. I didn't, and and I only say this just because it totally caught me by surprise. But there's a sexual abuse yeah. thing that's really like you don't necessarily see it coming no. at all. And I was like, holy shit! But I was just like, hey, you could have said, <laughs> you could have said yo. to me, but it you is. know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, going back to that whole idea of like having something, something that like you can respect as an artistic piece, but not wanting to have it. There's a, do you remember the, the nine inch nails, the, the broken yeah, videotape? I, I, I've owned it twice. And then just, I went through the same thing. I'm like, you know what? I don't actually want this in my house. Yeah. Um, and it's not like dissing it, but it's just like, personally, I don't need this here. Right. And, <laughs> um, Plus you can see it online. Yeah. Well, no, and this was, you know, Way back when, I think I bought it at, uh, so on Hampton Beach, there's this little rock shop underneath the casino. I went there a lot. Yeah, and it it pretty much sold all exclusively, like, bootlegs. And it's funny, because he would always say, oh, no, they're not bootlegs, they're imports. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, they're they're bootlegs. Like, none of these are sanctioned recordings, you know. It was the glass case, and it was just the rows of it, right, behind him and everything. Yeah, Yeah, I used to go there a lot. Because I remember... uh, I remember buying it and it was a VHS tape and it was probably like $30 or something like that. But I remember the first time I bought it, he's like, do you know what this is? And I was like, yeah, I do know what it is. And he's just like, okay, I don't take returns on this just so you know. And then he was like, you know, he was like, how old are you? And I was like, you know, probably like 25 or something at the time. He's like, okay, just be warned. And I was like, okay. And for those of you who don't know, so it's the, the nine inch nails album EP broken. There's a, like a long form video. It's most of the songs with music videos interspersed with what, what appears to be a snuff film, um, which, and I've read like four or five different, you know, stories as to what it actually is. Um, it's not actually, no, it's fake, but it, but it's a fairly realistic. It's looking really album. realistic. But I mean, there's there's also a performance artist named Bob Flanagan who's in one of the videos. Who you know, Bob Flanagan used to 
uh, mutilate himself on stage and, you know, in, he had cystic fibrosis Yeah, and helped so, him get control back of his body. Yeah, yeah. But he's in one of the videos and it, it looks like he's being basically put into like a meat grinder. Um, but it's also more than that, even more than that too. It had the, uh, sadom- I mean, Trent was really into the sadomasochism at the time. So it sure. has that sadomasochism element that he's getting the pleasure from the pain. And then it just right. starts eating him alive and yeah. blah, 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 which actually that video you can see more easily than you can the broken. I th- yeah. I think that's, I think I have that like in the closure yeah. VHS, they released that one, yeah. but yeah, it's, um, well, I, and I kind of like, I, I remember there was at that time, it was harder to find shit like this. Like you couldn't just go on YouTube or on some, you know, dark corner of the internet and find this shit. But like you actually would read about it, hear about it, and you would have to go find it. And that made it kind of something like, like cool, you know? And, and, I remember Trent at the time in the, the mid nineties when he was re- re- responding to it, he was just like, yeah, he goes, it's a really great work of art, but at the end of the day, I don't want my name attached to this thing. Right. You know, he's like, and it is. And when you watch it, even third generation bootleg, you can see the talent involved with it. You can see the, uh, I forget who the director was, but it was the same director who was like almost directing everything of his at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something Josephson. I don't know. He, he directed kind of the, um, the, in, the, uh, clean, film version like the police arriving at the location mm-hmm. and all the stuff but it is an incredible disturbing shocking work of art even to this day but who the fuck wants to sit through it right <laughs> like is my life better for what okay watch it once if just to see it's like that roller coaster ride you know see what you can take but is it really something you need to return to right like you right. know what i mean like i think that's always the question as to the the value of art that you can return to is there, am I going to get anything out of going back to this again? Sure. Or is this just going to hurt me? Like the movie kids, I have found repeat value in watching. It's mm-hmm. a controversial film. I own it. Um, you know, I am a fan of harmony Kareen and, and uh, even with all of his issues, I do think Larry Clark uh, is uh, talented. Um, and that film is bothersome to sit through Mm -hmm. um but it's also an incredible snapshot of new york city in the mid 90s incredible as in like before it was giulianiized yeah you know before it was disneyfied this is the new york when people are like talking about new york now i'm like why don't you watch some you know docudramas around new york in the early 90s and see what an incredible it was a vibrant city but at the same time it was a scary shithole yeah you know, it was a dangerous city. And and I, when I watch kids, I mean, yes, the, the, it's funny. You watch it now and actually a lot of the shocking stuff, it's not as shocking anymore, sure. especially in lieu of, especially in light of what's happened since then with yeah. teenagers and everything. Um, I like watching it now because I am immediately transported to New York City, mid nineties mm-hmm. for lack oh, of for anything sure. else. Summer 19, you know, mid 1995. It was a complete, it's like a completely different world than it is now. Oh yeah. And I, that's where, you know, and, and, it, and it was funny, segue, um, Molly Ringwald came out recently and had that amazing Thing article about the, about, about the Breakfast Club, which originally when I saw it, I was kind of like, what's this going to read? Because I have mixed feelings about Molly. You know, she's said some bullshit before. All of us have. She said some bullshit before and, and everything. I'm like, how, what angle is she going to take on this? Because as an artist and as I'm a humanist, I, I, I have tortured in my brain do you how do you separate and do you 
the art from the artist. Right. You know, Tomer and I have had extensive conversations about this. Billy and I have had extensive conversations about this. Uh, the Woody Allens, the Roman Plansky. It's just easy. Those are always the low hanging fruit. Right. Um, but, and I, and I, and I thought Molly's, um, uh, what her piece that she wrote was actually very thoughtful. And it, and, and, and that's why I posted because I, I've watched, I watch breakfast club regularly. I watch all mm. of John Hughes regularly. And it's certainly as I've gotten older, I've realized just how at times sexist and racist and at times, but it's also done from a very kind of like all of us were when we were teenagers. Cause we didn't know any better. Right. You know, we didn't know any better. They don't know better now. I mean, I think they do know better now because it's, you know, it's a different time, but until someone says to you, no, this, the reason why what you're saying is not even wrong, but offensive and this is why it pro- it promotes empathy, right? So it, I feel like if you take works of art from their era and just try to ignore them, just throw them aside, be like, we can't learn from this anymore. Blah 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 blah. We shouldn't be even looking at this. Well, you're eliminating history, right? And as much as it's like, really, Breakfast Club is history. It is. You know, it it's a snapshot of a particular time. They say words like faggot and. They and it, like even even Emilio Estevez at one point he says that to Bender. Mm-hmm. You know, Bender is all, is all, is very abusive towards um, Claire. You know, and yet he he still wins her heart at the end. I'm of the opinion that Monday morning nothing changed, but that's right. my that's my uh, existential element. But <clears throat> I feel like um, I feel like we do if we are to mature as a society. A mature society knows how to preserve its works of art without looking to it for guidance on how to live. Yeah. And it bothers me as much as, you know, when stuff is coming out about Kevin Spacey or anybody else that's being released. I mean, just name them. What bothers me is not along with that is are we reaching a point where we are cutting ourselves off from art for morality's sake. Sure. And there have been societies that have gone down that road that have ended up being in a full censorship land. You know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. I do think there are excellent intentions with looking at these works of art, looking at the whole Kill Bill situation. I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I was devastated to find out what he did. I was, I was happier are you talking about putting Uma Thurman? With Kill Bill, yeah, yeah, yeah. With putting Uma Thurman into that and and, and her subsequent uh, release. And then her, I really respected her narrowing it down that much more and saying this happened and this happened. And I forgive Quentin for this, but this needs to be looked at uh, because the world is gray and nuanced. And you don't have to watch a film or read a book or listen to music and go, I approve everything this artist does. But I think you can be as Molly said, and I've said this to Billy and Tomer before, I think you can, as an artist, watch those, put it into your own work and say, I can do better. You know, mm-hmm. be inspired by it in an empathetic and positive way and try to promote change while recognizing the positives. You know, the Breakfast Club, while it has, <clears throat> you know, a blind spot in terms of how it responds to Claire and, and various other people. There was also, it was so groundbreaking at the time oh, yeah. to make teenagers serious. You know what I mean? And, and, and people it's as society moves on, we're, we're always learning. None of us are perfect. People make mistakes. Some, some don't make mistakes. Some people are just abusive, mind you. Yeah. Um, 
but I do believe that the vast majority of people do are trying their best and they make mistakes and they learn from them. And we need to be able to look at our art from previous years, you know, going back into the fifties, the forties, the thirties that we can't forget about these. They're, they're there for a reason. It's who we are. Right. The more you forget about your history, the, the less you can change as a society. So own it. Watch Chinatown. I hate it when people are like, I can never watch that movie. I hate that person. Well, you're cutting yourself off from, it's not just that person. Right. You're cutting yourself off from other people that have worked with that person and, and their filmographies and everything. And you're, you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and you're not learning. Try to, try to embrace those that you can't, you don't have to embrace them personally, but look at, try as an exercise, looking at their work from the value of the work and then place that into the perspective of the artist themselves. And you really recognize, you can start to really recognize the big picture mm-hmm. about things. If you can look at things from a cognitive, empathetic point of view, it becomes much, the, the works of art actually become even more relevant and more separate from the original filmmaker or the original author or the original, you know, musician or, or artist, you know what I mean? There's the, the whole thing about Pablo Picasso right now in terms of, uh, of, of what he did and, and should we be taking his pictures down? And it, it, it's terrifying. It's terrifying because it's mob mentality. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that as in like, you know, it's black and white as in like, Oh, the me too movement is a mob or um, uh, uh, a gun control is a mob. But <clears throat> I think all of these things are excellent. And I am so proud of, the fact that our society is progressing, even with what's in the White House. And I think what's what in, what's in the White House is helping society progress, to be honest, because mm-hmm. people are like, okay, fuck you. Yeah, it's pushback from... Pushback. We're going to focus on making our lives better, because we're not going to look to you for any leadership whatsoever. Um, but in order to be able to function as you know cognitively and as empathy... You also have to be able to look at the nuances of the situation too. And not everything is in bucket A, bucket B and bucket C. You know, I think that's as damaging uh, to society and our evolution as a culture as anything else. Um, Perfect example. I just watched, uh, you know, Grey's Anatomy is going into it's like 15th season. Jazz and I like watch it on Saturday mornings and they've, um, they've talked about after 15 seasons, there was always this, uh, 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 award that everybody was shooting for the Harper Avery award, you know, for, um, excellence in medic medicine. They were all, all 15 seasons. Everybody's always going after the Harper Avery award. Well, today there, the episode that they had recently was a combination of, um, the, uh, certain doctors eating, uh, pot cookies by accident and getting all like fucked up. But also while all that funny stuff was going on, they revealed that Harper Avery the man himself, the man who has started this award of excellence was um, uh, harassing many women in his day. Mm-hmm. So like, I think it's like 60s, 70s, that sort of thing. Um, and they were paid by um, his, uh, his wife to, as in a contract. And this is similar with like the Weinstein to stay quiet, to, get all this money, but recognize that you will not, um, uh, go to try to, uh, get a Harper Avery award. You are not to have anything to do with it. And the way they did it is it 
shed light on the situation at the time that his wife was not looking to pay off to just get the whole thing away. It was also looking so that these women would get something out of this at the time. You know, this wasn't a situation where, you know, Hillary just threw uh, Monica Lewinsky under the bus. It was a situation where here is the sexual politics at the time. Note when these things were happening, this was all you could do. Mm-hmm. These men and were not dragged down. There was no, everyone was like, show me proof, show me proof, show me proof. So his wife is in the context of the, of the episode said, yes, I gave these women the contract. I figured at the, at the most I could do is at least get them the money so they wouldn't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and Jasmine and I talked about that. That was an extraordinary writing moment because it encapsulated the culture at that time. You know, people are very fond right now of saying, why didn't you do something at the time? Why did you allow this to go on? Why, 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 why? We all did. Right. Every single one of us, every single one of us were complicit. Because it was the culture of the time. Mm -hmm. So do you erase that time or do you try to learn from it? Because if we're going to, if we're going to just just judge what everybody did from a certain era, you've lost. Right. You've lost. There's no learning. There's just scapegoating, you know, and, and sexual politics have always been extremely complex and there has been a patriarchy and there has been cover up, but to say, this is the list of movies you can never watch. This is the list of albums you can never listen to. This is the list of books you can never read. What does that sound like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it's the best intentions, right. it's footloose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people, people died from dancing and now we're not going to, we're not going to dance anymore. Mm-hmm. What, what do you learn from that? You know, what you learn is what is my behavior? How have I contributed to that as not only a person, but also an artist in my past? How have I been complicit in this behavior? How have I participated without realizing it with us comment I may have made or, or being less sensitive towards something unless we're able to look at these items without blinking, you're not going to learn anything. All you're going to be is like, tell me artists, how should I live my life? We shouldn't release anything. That's not an activist. This is the way you should live piece of work. Right. I don't, I'm not sure that helps anybody. You know what I mean? And generally, for me personally, at least when I see a piece of work that is clearly specifically made with that perspective, uh, I mean, just a recent example, uh, the new version uh, of A Wrinkle in Time, Mm. um, which I loved the book as a kid, Um, haven't read it in 20 years, but it seemed uh, that there was other agendas with this film as well. And it wasn't a very good movie. Um, you know, I, I think it's okay to, you know, grow change. And, but if that's your only reason for doing something, sure. it doesn't make for great art. Yeah. It, if that's your only perspective. I mean, I, I, again, segue, cause I knew you would ask me about graduate, you know, I've done, I've directed some pretty, even Joy Smith said to me, she's like, you've had a controversial year, you know, right. between Hurley Burley, Venus and Fur extremities, um, steady rain and, um, and graduate funny thing is I don't set out to be controversial. Right. I set out for stories, but I think for example, Hurley Burley, um, you know, that was brought to me by Tomer and I thought I would direct it because it seemed like an interesting exercise, uh, in a city that I hadn't 
it, it, taking place in a city I hadn't had a chance to. Usually I direct shows that are on the East Coast. Right. This was on West Coast. It was an, it was an opportunity Angles. to focus on West Coast culture. Um, but also other things too, like uh, the, the, uh, the self-absorbed um, elements, uh, the feeling like you know everything. Uh, a lot of the conversations they have, the beauty of um, uh, David Rabe's writing is a lot of the conversations in there are, are nearly Shakespearean in their dialogue. But it's uh, I found a lot of um, parallels with the way people talk to them each other online. Everybody thinks they're right about everything. Sure. No one's really listening to each other. Nobody in that entire show, and it was asking a lot because it's three hours long and it's kind of relentless. But if you went back and watched it again, you realize nobody's really talking to each other. They're all talking at each other. They're all other. talking at each other and making yeah. declarations. So I would sit there and be like, this is Facebook. Yeah. You know, it was, this is a reflection of who we are. You know, even, even the sexism at the time, it, it preceded the Me Too movement by a few months. But people were profoundly disturbed by the level of sexist behavior. And I'm like, good. If anyone walks out of this show and you're like, that's the way I want to live, anything I say one way or another is not going to change your mind. Right, right. You know, but people were, they were a little upset with me, you know, because I had done uh, shows in the past that were definitely uh, more traditionally feminist driven and that sort of thing. So the, it, the people were a little concerned that the show was just so relentlessly, and it had a lot of other issues too. I mean, the sexism was a big issue, but there were other issues with these characters as well. But if you're not, going to fully explore to the hilt if you're if you're pursuing themes and you feel a need to sanitize it or or make it a little easier for people i don't feel like you're necessarily doing your job mm. you know i'm not here to tell you how to live if you're going to go to artists to tell you how to live you shouldn't right you know um you really shouldn't uh i've always prided myself on having a point of view in in my shows but also trusting the audience to take from it what they have to and present it with no one way or another perspective going. I mean, I think all the characters in Hurley Burley are disgusting, but if I made a show of showing how disgusted I am with all of these characters, how is that art? Right. It's just basically me and standing in front of the audience with a, with a blackboard going, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. I trust the audience to be able to watch this and take what they need from it. I don't want to tell them what to think. Yeah. You know, that's boring. You know, I'm, why would you listen to me? I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly a work in progress. I don't know everything. <laughs> you know, a lot of the shows I do is so for me to learn as well. When, when I did Extremities, Jasmine thought the greatest element that came out of me directing Extremities was the fact that I fully understood, or at least better, I shouldn't say fully because I'm not female, but she was astonished by how much I understood more from a woman's point of view than I had previously. Mm. I came home and I would check with her saying, do you want me to leave the lights on? Do you want me to lock the door behind me? It got, it put me into the perspective of Constance's character, Marjorie, and made me realize how terrifying the world actually is from a woman's perspective and the privilege that I have as a white middle-class man. Mm -hmm. And it was a very depressing project to work on. It, I, it was very, very, very difficult to be in that. I was happy. I mean, I was happy I did it. I'm proud of it. I'm happy it's over. Um, but it, it, I learned something from it, and that was empathy. And and for theater to teach empathy, you have to sometimes look at contemporary subjects that are uncomfortable. Sure. You know, I think for graduate 
it's fun. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. But we have we have worked hard to look at a 50s time capsule through a contemporary lens. And that doesn't mean that we've changed anything where, you know, the script is what it, what it is. And it's an adaptation of both the book and the film. And i more than one actor has said to me that they like this script better than the script of the film hmm. because it goes into detail with characters more. It goes into detail with universal topics more like generational gaps and, and the fighting between the traditional and the established. And I challenge anybody to go see it right now in the middle of it being fucking hilarious. It's a funny fucking show. I mean, we're all dying, but there are those dramatic moments where you're like, wow, that is completely parallel with what I see happening right now with current generation in power and the incoming generation in power and being gen X and kind of being in the middle of it. It's fun to watch. Yeah. You're like, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Mm-hmm. And even with um, the whole detail, you know, Joy Smith was kind enough to say to me early on, she goes, how are you going to handle the whole Mrs. Robinson thing in the middle of the Me Too movement? You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, it's on my mind. Yeah. And uh, and there were other elements, too, that was like, how are we going to handle this? You know, and the it was interesting in rehearsals. Constance and Tomer are, are are brilliant. They are so good to work with and they are so good to direct. Um, but I was always analyzing it from two perspectives, you know, from, okay, what Mrs. Robinson, as it is her first seduction of, of uh, Benjamin, but what, how would this sound if the sex roles were reversed? Mm-hmm. And I would keep that primary in my mind in direction going, okay, what is this double-edged sword I've got to deal with? The reversal was constantly on my mind in terms of directing their movements and how they would come across. Uh, My stage manager, Lindsay Green, um, she's turning into like one of my greatest right-hand people ever, collaborators. She was right there talking to me, sometimes after rehearsals and sometimes right there saying, or sending me a text going, what if we tried it from this perspective? Cause she comes from a very, her parents are both um, psychologists. She comes from a, um, a, a very um, positive, you know, sex therapy and all that kind of stuff. And having that female, strong female perspective, being able to be like, what if made the process that much more interesting. And what I loved was the last rehearsal we had Deirdre Hickok bridge. She was sitting there. We were kind of, we were st- stopping a bit early because, they're professionals and they're really good at what they do. Um, she just said, she goes, I like this play. I like how this play is looking. And Don Gettler said the same thing. He goes, yeah, this is, this show's growing on me. You know, at first you're like, yeah. Oh, I want to be part of the graduate because it's the graduate. Right. But then you're sitting there and you're like, it's the graduate, but it's not really the graduate. I know. Yeah. It's the graduate of now. Yeah. And it's why we didn't, I was very adamant about not having the classic image of the leg on the poster. I don't want to objectify Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson's ahead of her time with all the slings and arrows that come from being ahead of your time. Right. You know, she's, she's crucified a lot in that show. Some deservedly so and others not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, and Elaine is ahead of her time as well, you know, and, and how do you portray that on say the poster? Right. You know, originally we were being lazy and we're like, let's just completely copy the poster. You know, everyone will know it. And then I'm looking at this, having been through extremities, and I'm like, I am just not comfortable with putting reducing Mrs. Robinson to a leg. Mm. I get that it's an iconic image, but it's more 
at least this production for me is more than about that. Sure. So we had the idea of let's take the three principles and put them on the poster because Elaine has a lot to do, especially in the second act. You know, Mrs. Robinson kind of disappears a bit in the second act. Yeah. And in the middle of them is Benjamin. So you got Benjamin, you got Ms. Robinson, you got Elaine. Suddenly, a show that everybody has had pegged, they're suddenly going, wait a minute, who's, wait, Elaine? Elaine's on the poster? Mm-hmm. That that immediately makes people go, yes, we are revering the original. You know, we're, we are, we're presenting the original with respect, not necessarily revering it, but this is a different graduate than you may expect, even though we are being very... Um, uh, uh, making sure that it is era appropriate, mm-hmm. but it's just through a different lens. And I think the work that uh, Constance and Tomer and Emily and Matt Schofield and Deidre and Dawn, um, Chris Farrell, uh, Rob Carroll, um, uh, Carol Davenport was part of, she had, she, she dropped out because of the recent passing of her mother. Susan Turner is playing that role. Um, uh, Heidi Gagney, all of them um, bring just such a level of intelligence to even those silliest scenes mm-hmm. that it makes it for a, a show that is funny and enjoyable, but also can make you think. Yeah. And I think that that to me is like the best types of like, I like to think of it as like a, the, the, the best types of big studio presentations, you yeah. know, something that you can watch and get a lot out of and feel, but also you can just sit back and enjoy yourself. Sure. Sure. Um, so I would say out of all the dealings with, uh, controversial shows, you know, which honestly I didn't feel like they should have been as controversial as they were. Right. Um, but right place, right time, unfortunately. Um, I think the graduate, uh, is, is a good stopping point right now for this particular run of shows while, you know, I'm not going to direct anything at the ring next year um, while I'm focused on other things with my directing. I'll be back. Um, But from seminar to graduate, there was seminar, Killer Joe, evening broadcast, the flick, um, the E-Mary Gentleman. A lot of the approaches with the E-Mary Gentleman uh, being applied to graduate actually in terms of high comedy, but also the drama offsetting the comedy. Um, And then, uh, and then from there, um, Hurley Burley, Venus, uh, Extremities, Steady Rain, and then here with the graduate. This is a good, this is a good ending point to this particular run. And what was that? Uh, three year period. Three years. Yeah, it was a, it was extremely aggressive directing period. Yeah. Well, um, I, re- I remember just being, you know, whenever I would see show coming up, it was like holy shit, Todd's got another show <laughs> coming up. Uh, you know, and it's funny because I saw. A lot of them, I'd say I saw two thirds of them, but there was still a bunch that just time wise I couldn't, you know. I could barely see them. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when is the graduate open? Uh, May fourth. Okay. Uh, I love the fact that the, all the posters say more May four twenty because <laughs> it's fourth through the twentieth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I'm like that, 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 that's that's suitable. That works. Um, but yeah, we open May fourth and we run through the twentieth, and then of course after that is. Uh, the Shakespeare finale with Titus. Yes. Um, that's got uh, Dan Bollier playing uh, Titus, which is going to be quite amazing. Yeah. I haven't seen him do that before. It's a, quite a casting coup on their part. But um, no, it's been it, it it it's been a ride. It's been a huge learning experience. Um, definitely not going anywhere, but yeah. I'm just expanding, and it's time to kind of you know we got the house. 
things we want to do with our lives. And it's time for some, and you know how you get, you know, you reach a point where you're like, okay, I've done what I set out to do. Yeah. And now, now what, you know, yeah, how take some time to figure out what's yeah. next. Yeah, for sure. Because honestly, my ideal, I would love to be able to direct across the country. I would like to be able to direct high school theater, especially after seeing Noble's recent um, version of Isles in the Moon that Jen Bashelder directed. I got really excited about what you can do with high school theater and high school students now. Um, I'd like to direct commercials. I'd like to direct uh, uh, music videos. I mean, I've dabbled in all of them. Yeah. Um, but, and I've always directed the ring, you know, direct the ring is my home. The ring yeah. is, the ring has been very good to me. The ring has been the most stable home I've had. Yeah. You know, it's always been there for me and, um, it's made me work hard. You know, it doesn't just say here, you know, you can just have this. Right. I've had to earn my way. And, yeah. but that's the best feeling when it's like, I always, whenever I would pitch anything, I didn't know if it was going to get on the stage. I really didn't. Yeah. I could pick a totally terrible script. I I am one of those people that's the last one to believe that anybody is even remotely thinking or talking about me. Yeah. I figure out a sight out of mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm hopefully, you know, I'll get in this time. And then, you know, the committee would be like, well, I may not like the script, but you're directing it. They're like, they would say you're directing it. So I'm sure it's going to be good. And I'm like, that's my work. Yeah. That's my reputation. Yeah. And I, and I, I have a responsibility to always have to measure up. Yeah. I can't ride on the reputation that I've built. It's not fair. Yeah. So whenever our show, when extremities got in, I was shocked. And I remember Q looked across at me from the table because he was on the reading committee at the time. And he just looked at me and he went, I'm sorry. And I'm like, fucking hell. Cause I knew not only was this show going to happen, but I was going to put everything into it that I put in on right. every show. And I knew I was going to get wrecked because yeah. this was going to be a very upsetting show to have to work on. Yeah. Especially with my friends. Um, luckily we had Jen Henry come in to choreograph the rape. Um, they say they call in a script an attempted rape, though. I'd be hard pressed to find a difference yeah. between what happens. And uh, she said uh, to Constance, I said to them, you work on this. I'll see it. Mm. I don't need to be part of this. I trust Jen Henry. Mm. She's literally been on the receiving end in mm. a show I've directed before. Um, she did an excellent job. And she said to them, my, my, uh, my goal is to make Todd squirm. And she was successful. Yeah. It was, it was too much. Uh, it was actually flirting with too much, but how can you say it's too much, especially if someone's ever gone through it? Sure. At least they have, at least you only have to watch it. Right. You don't have to be on the receiving end of it. And it was powerful. There was a couple of um, audience members I noticed when I was sitting in the audience each month. There was one, there was a couple. There was a young woman. And when she would very verbally respond to things on stage. I don't know who she was. Mm -hmm. But when he would try to gaslight her, I heard her whisper, fuck you. When Constance came out and poured the bo boiling water on him, she clapped. Yeah. Visibly while he's screaming. There was other women that came that really were focused on it. And, and I think it was cathartic. I think. Yeah. I don't know because I'm, I'm a man. Yeah. Even if I was raped, it is not going to be the same experience as, as, as what a woman goes through. I can't. All I can do is empathize. I can't say, no, I know how you feel. I don't know how you feel. Yeah. I don't. 
It's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's assumptive and it's rude. All I can do is keep trying to learn from my, my behavior, try to empathize and make my community and my world a better place while learning. Yeah. And sometimes you go through hell to have to figure that out, you know, and that's, uh, why it always kind of hurts when people are like why do you do these shows yeah. you know even barbara said to me, i don't know why you do these shows and i'm like because i'm trying to understand the world yeah i don't want to escape not yeah. that there's anything wrong with escape but just for me i don't see these shows getting done i, I want to understand the world better yeah and you know you can go on the journey with me this time or wait till next time it's yeah. fine but um empathy is in short supply right now but i think there's hope i hope <laughs> I think so too. I hope there's hope. Yeah, no, I think so too. Well, I think that's a good, uh, good spot. Cool. Uh, yeah, but yeah, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I like like rambled for like no. the past ten minutes. No, uh, no, not, <laughs> not, not at all. I mean, obviously, it's you know, your 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 work in the theater is, uh, you know, been obvious to me has been your you know your passion and your your life's work, you know, for. First, before I knew you personally, seeing you on the theater and then, you know, becoming friends with you, you know, so there's not rambling at all. It's what you're passionate about. So. I appreciate this. And I, I definitely appreciate your always have appreciated your support and friendship. I respect you very much. And I think the work I'm so thrilled with the work you're doing now with with your art and Thanks, everything. I, I think you're a really strong artist. I see your work constantly in my feed and i can't even like it all because it's con- so, you know what i mean like every once in a while like oh yeah that one or you know luke skywalker hide and seek champion whatever there's one that's like particularly strikes you I'm like but they're all so good yeah you know and i think you do a lot of good work and uh i definitely think you're i find just personally as a friend and a collaborator i find you're a huge fixture in the artistic community and i'm really happy you're doing stuff thanks a lot that means a lot man it really does i feel the same way i would love honestly some time to be able to get a gallery for you at the ring like hooked onto a show yeah i think that'd be a, a lot of fun i did um when we did tape i had because i did portraits of yeah. the three leads which were beautiful put it up but i it's so if anyone who is producing or directing a show at the ring um, is ever looking for poster artwork. That's not a traditional photo. I, I really like doing portraits. Um, so I'm certainly open to it. So, you know, would you, would you be interested in being on our resource list for, if you're interested in an artist for poster oh, or that kind of stuff, reach out to Scott chase. Cause we are developing a resource list for people to hand to going. If you're looking for actors, directors, artists, blah, blah, blah. Here's the list. Here's their email. Here's their phone number. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for cool. sure. Then I'll add you. Cause you're, like I said, you're invaluable. You have a very unique signature. And, and I want to, I personally, just in my little neck of the woods, would love to see it just keep exploding yeah. and getting more and more exposure. So. Awesome. Thanks, man. Hey, look what came out of this. <laughs> <laughs> cool.